mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today with millions of people looking for new career opportunities these days, scam artists are seizing the opportunity as well. We'll tell you how not to get taken in by what amounts to an employment catfishing scheme. Also this morning, the March retail sales report capped off a big week of data on the state and direction of the economy. Does a closer look at the numbers and their context paint a positive or negative picture of where we are and where we're going? We speak with bank rate analyst Ted Rossman. And we have creative recipes using some of your Easter leftovers from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, April 15th, 2022. Today is Good Friday. It is also Passover today, so that begins this evening. So uh, for our Jewish friends, a very blessed Passover. For our Christian friends, uh, uh, happy Easter weekend. And to our atheist friends, well, here's hoping you have a good weekend. Uh, Also, reasons to celebrate today, it is Jackie Robinson Day, Uh, the first Black player in Major League Baseball, Jackie Robinson, the Brooklyn Dodgers, broke the baseball color line on this date in 1947. Uh, Played first base for the Dodgers, did not get any hits in his first uh, day uh, as a, a Dodgers player, but he would go on to become a beloved member of the team. Didn't start out that way, but... Jackie Robinson Day today. It is McDonald's Day. Ray Kroc opened the first corporate McDonald's restaurant on this date in 1955. National Glazed Spiral Ham Day. Now, there you go. Getting ready for Easter. National Gripers Day. National Rubber Eraser Day. It is Titanic Remembrance Day. The unsinkable British luxury liner sank on this date in 1912. Uh, World Art Day, it is Anime Day, uh, Micro-Volunteering Day, and it is ASL Day, American Sign Language Day today, which, by the way, is kind of interesting uh, because I saw this on the Newswire, and I'm wondering, does American Sign Language count for this? A new study shows that being bilingual can help you avoid cognitive decline later in life. According to the findings published in the journal Frontiers in Psychology, a gentleman by the name of Federico Gallo, he's a junior research fellow at the HSE University Institute of Cognitive Neuroscience, and he says for all of the handy reasons for being able to speak another language, uh, accessing, uh, being bilingual or more, uh, knowing two or more languages, helps keep your brain young. Uh, He says, like our skin when we age, brains can get saggy too due to a lack of stimulation. Uh, But his study shows those who keep those neurons firing by thinking and speaking in another language Uh, can avoid that with their brains and thus avoid cognitive decline. He goes on to say that unlike other factors that shape cognitive reserve, bilingualism is 
uh, unique in that it is constantly present in our lives. We can take up physical exercise and then we can let that go by the wayside. We can go on one diet or another. We can change jobs, but language remains with us all the time. We communicate, we watch movies, we read books, and language is at the center of all of that. And we are constantly working our mind with our language. And all of this activity, even if you're not fluent in the language, you don't have to be particularly fluent in a second language. Just having a rudimentary knowledge can help keep away so-called cognitive aging, which can lead to dementia and neurodegenerative diseases as our bodies get older. So... He says, making your noggin switch from one language to another can be a welcome workout for your brain. So, there you go. And I wonder if American Sign Language would, uh, because it is a language, and it is something you have to think about in order to use and all of that. So I would imagine that would, that would count, sure. But just one more reason to be proficient in more than one language. So, some of the other items among the first things you need to know this morning... You know, there was a surge in homeschooling that began uh, during the pandemic as regular schools shut down and stayed closed in some cases for more than a year. And some parents discovered that, hey, you know, this homeschooling thing, this learning at home is not so bad and we actually prefer this. Um, and even as schools have reopened, the number of kids being homeschooled has remained higher than it was before the pandemic with many parents choosing to stick with it. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting because the narrative uh, for so long was we got to get the schools reopened. We can't continue to keep our kids at home. It's not an ideal learning environment. We don't have the time. Uh, all of these reasons why we had to get the kids back in school, but it turns out a fair number of parents have uh, chosen to stick with the homeschooling thing. The Associated Press cites data uh, it obtained and analyzed as showing homeschooling numbers are down from their all-time high last year, but are still significantly above pre-pandemic levels. In 18 states that shared their data, the number of homeschooling students was up 63% for the 2020-21 school year, fell by just 17% during the current school year. So up 63 and down 17, you can still see it's significantly higher. Uh, reasons for sticking with homeschooling include health concerns, disagreement with school policies, and wanting to stay with what's worked for their kids. Hey, it's worked. They like it. We're going to stick with it. The AP notes that many of those who have switched to homeschooling are minority families. Uh, African-American in particular, the proportion of black families homeschooling spiked by five times from 3.3% to 16.1% from spring 2020 to the fall, while it only about doubled across the other ethnic groups. So that I thought was kind of interesting as well. Uh, let's see. I saw this and... It just made me raise my eyebrows. Apparently now, uh, our we should uh, we should force our dogs to go vegan. <laughs> a new survey suggests that dogs that follow a vegan diet 
might be healthier. Researchers in Australia and Great Britain found that dogs on vegan diets tended to have fewer health problems based on their uh, the reports of their owners than those who ate conventional products. And dogs are known for being carnivores. But uh, you would think, I mean, I would think anyway, that this would be unnatural for a dog not to eat animal or meat-based products. But uh, apparently that's not the case. Owners in the vegan group reported lower rates of obesity, lower, uh, fewer digestive troubles, uh, fewer cases of arthritis, and fewer eye and ear health issues. Still, veterinary nutritionists who reviewed the findings say none of this proves that vegan diets are healthier for, uh, for dogs. Uh, professor of veterinary nutrition at the University of Minnesota, Dr. Julie Churchill, says this is really a study of owners' perceptions. She says pet parents who feed their dogs a vegan diet are likely vegans themselves, which complicates the survey results for a number of reasons. Uh, professor at Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Joseph Wachlog, says that in general, evidence is lacking that vegan dog foods actually help dogs live longer, healthier lives. Both veterinarians agreed that those caveats aside, it is possible for dogs to get the nutrition they need on a vegan diet, but it is critical that they eat high-quality products that are formulated to meet dogs' nutrient requirements. And you should consult your veterinarian about dog food products in general, vegan or not, um, but especially if you're going to put your dog on a vegan diet. you can. What is the old... I think David Letterman told this uh, joke on The Tonight Show one time when, uh, when he said, my dog... Uh, eats out of the trash and drinks out of the toilet. It's it's not really he's not really picky. <laughs> All of these gourmet uh, dog foods and now vegan diets. <laughs> my dog, I don't know about yours. My dog isn't really picky, so that he he cares necessarily. And uh, finally, among the first things that you need to know this morning, chew on this: a high tech company, Walletmore. They're based out of Great Britain. Actually, it's a jointly owned British-Polish company. It is now making it possible for you to buy things with a microchip implanted in your body. It was only a matter of time. Walletmore is selling microchips as alternate payment options. The chips are about the size of a grain of rice, costs about $300, and is implanted into your body preferably in your hand. So you'd be microchipped, kind of like you microchip your dogs, but it would work like the uh, tap-to-pay thing. If you tap-to-pay your phone or your watch or even your credit card has that tap-to-pay, you don't have to swipe or dip your chip or whatever. You just swipe to pay. You can do that just with your hand, like a magic wand. You can wave your hand to pay. Company says after you activate the chip using a digital wallet app, you can make purchases at most businesses around the world just by swiping your hand over the card reader. Chips are currently being sold only in the UK, Switzerland, and other countries in the EU. But you know it's only a matter of time before we have them here as well. Would you? 
Something to think about. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy. <laughs> you knew it was coming, and now the future is here. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm John Marshall. Your WTOL 11 weather, increasing clouds today with a high 63, a slight chance of a shower tonight with a low 41. The man authorities say was driving the stolen car that hit and killed Bluffton police officer Dominic Francis last month appeared in Hancock County Common Pleas Court for his arraignment. 20-year-old Eamon Johnson pleaded not guilty to aggravated vehicular homicide, involuntary manslaughter, and other charges. His bond of $500,000 that was set earlier in Finley Municipal Court was carried over. A pretrial hearing has been set for May 13th. A backseat passenger was also arraigned, and a video arraignment was being set up for a third suspect who's still in Northeast Ohio. See video from the arraignment on our website. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine visited the Central Ohio Fire Museum to honor volunteer firefighters. The governor was joined by the state fire marshal along with other firefighters. Volunteer fire service serves a large population of Ohioans with approximately two-thirds of the state's firefighters being volunteers. Task force will be made full of volunteers to look at some issues and bring in more volunteers. We'd certainly appreciate their service. ONN's Tracy Townsend reporting. Baker Mayfield is speaking out for the first time since the Cleveland Browns decided to go in a new direction at quarterback. Talking on a podcast yesterday, Mayfield said he has no regrets for his time in Cleveland, but added that he felt disrespected by the Browns organization in their decision to trade for Houston quarterback Deshaun Watson. Mayfield says he was misled by the Browns and their intentions. The former Heisman Trophy winner also took a shot at fans who booed him as he was struggling through the last season, during which he was plagued with injuries, saying he'd love to show up at their cubicle, boo them, and watch them crumble. I'm Clay Gordon. And the Tiffin Drive-In Theater has reopened after an extensive and lengthy renovation. Owner Mike Cole says he can't wait to have everyone out to check out the renovated facility. Just about everything was replaced, from the screens to the box office to the concession building. Cole thanks everyone for the kind words of encouragement throughout the renovation process, as he said it was difficult at times. On Easter Sunday, they will be having a special showing of the Ten Commandments. I'm John Marshall for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, you've heard about the great resignation, right? The millions of people during and post-pandemic that are quitting their jobs in search of something with better pay or something more fulfilling or something that offers better work-life balance, whatever it is. Well, just like anything, scam artists have seized on the opportunity. Mayor Work is privacy advocate and program director at ID Me, and uh, Mayor, you call them social engineering scams. How does this most commonly work? So, social engineering is really similar to online identity theft in that it's as old as the internet, and everyone has heard of romance scams, right? But now, cyber criminal criminals are more sophisticated. So they are actively targeting people through social media and fake job sites, and they're manipulating individuals into giving them their actual information. Hmm. And the reason that this has increased is because of, you, you kind of mentioned it yourself, the great resignation and pandemic employment benefits, um, almost everyone in America was potentially eligible 
for unemployment benefits. And so these criminals saw this massive opportunity to go out and to meet their revenue targets by gathering as many victims as possible. And it was pretty successful. And so they're continuing these tactics. So it seems like the brilliance in this, the thing that makes it work from the scammer's point of view, is that the initial contact does not come from an unsolicited email or a text message, but rather from a listing on a legitimate job-seeking website. Exactly, Chris. So this isn't phishing. This is actually having individuals go to a site or be contacted by someone on um, on social media. And these can be really hard to spot. And well, that's on purpose. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So how can you avoid falling victim then when all of the scams are mixed in with all of the other legitimate job opportunities? Right, exactly. So I'll uh, take a page from my 10th grade English teacher's book and say proofread. So look at the URLs. Look at uh, if there's any misspellings. One of the things that criminals will do is this technique called typocasting, and that's where they register a common misspelling of the word as the URL, and so people don't even realize that Mm. it's a fake site. I would also imagine it's a little complicated to spot the fakes given the reality that so many companies right now are offering pretty sweet deals to attract workers given the labor shortage. I mean, usually you'd say, beware of an offer that seems too good to be true, but right now there are some legitimate uh, job offers that might seem too good to be true. Well, that's one of my talking points too, Chris, but I think that you know, there's a couple of different things. There's there's the difference between offers on a job, and then there's also the difference between, you know, someone sending you a text and saying, hey, you've won $10,000, click here. Mm. So there definitely are, you know, the economy is, people are looking for jobs. The economy is, is going. So um, as individuals are searching for these jobs, if they have any... Um, uncertainties about if this is legitimate, contact the HR at the company directly. Maybe don't interact with the site. Also, most sites won't take you through an HR process that starts with uploading your driver's license front and back image. So Mm. that's something to be wary of as well. Is it fair to say the... This is one reason why you shouldn't be too eager to jump at a job. Again, maybe we have that luxury right now with more jobs than there are people to fill them. But if you're out of work or if you're just making ends meet these days, it can be very tempting to jump at what may seem like a better opportunity before it gets away. You know, And that's one of the things that scammers always count on is that urgency. Yes. Urgency is absolutely something that they are trying to use. And there's a bit of psychology there as well. So, you know, obviously, if individuals need a job and they've been looking, there are a couple of things to distinguish a real versus fake um, job listing. I already mentioned the misspelling. But also look for grammatical errors. And if people really want to get um, technical, on the upper left-hand corner, there's a little padlock next to the URL address line. If you click on that, that'll give you the security certificate of the website that you're interacting with, and you can check to see if it's valid. 
Hmm. Some good advice there. Let me ask you this on kind of the other side of the issue. Are the job-seeking platforms like social media sites, like Indeed and all of the others, are they doing enough to ferret out these scams? Well, the real solution is for social media platforms and job sites to ensure that the posters are who they say they are. So this problem is going to continue until there's digital identity verification put in place. Because right now you have bots, you have criminals, you have people creating um, false jobs, etc. So if individuals can take those steps I mentioned and also do a couple things to protect themselves, like making sure that their social media platforms are set to private, those are ways that they can help um, and ensure that they are interacting with valid companies. And what if people do find that they have fallen for one of these scams. Say you get halfway into the process and you realize that you've been had. What then? So, Chris, this is a really good question. And I think that um, a lot of people do fall victim and they don't talk about it enough because it can be very embarrassing, but it can also be really, really damaging. So there's a couple resources that consumers can um, use to protect themselves. They can go to Identity Theft Resource Center. If they are victims of identity theft, they can call the police. Most state workforce agencies also have options and places to report scams online as well. But this is why instituting digital identity verification is absolutely critical because, you know, IDME isn't just stopping fraud. We're helping Americans avoid becoming victims of identity theft in the first place. These crime rings are all networked and they're working together and it takes a network to defeat a network. Yeah, uh, they're uh, increasingly sophisticated, so we have to be as well. Mayor Work is Privacy Advocate and Program Director at IDME. And where do we get more resources that can help folks spot and uh, ferret out, uh, as we said, some of these uh, scams, some of these things that you don't want to fall victim to? Of course. So individuals can find more at id.me slash dot the scam. Mayor, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks so much, Chris. Well, a lot of reports this week that paint a very interesting picture on the state of the economy. We had the Consumer Price Index, the Producer Price Index, and the latest, the March Retail Sales Report, with numbers that have all kinds of asterisks attached to them. Uh, joining us to help sort it all out is Bankrate Senior Industry Analyst Ted Rossman. So, Ted, it's a 6.9% increase in retail sales overall from March of 2021 to March of 2022. The first qualifier is the obvious one. Is all of that because of inflation? Are we buying more stuff or are we just paying more for the same amount or even less stuff? Well, gas stations are a good place to start on that. If you take gas stations out, the year-over-year increase is just 4.4%. And actually, the month-over-month stat then drops from half a percentage point in the positive direction to negative 0.3. So gas stations, which have been the hardest-hit area by inflation, are driving a lot of this. It's not the whole story, um, but I'm sure everybody listening knows, you know, it costs a lot more to fuel up. Uh, According to AAA, gas prices are up 42% year over year. 
In this report, gas sales were up 37%. So that actually suggests maybe people drove a little bit less, uh, but no doubt inflationary pressures all around there. Some other things were more positive. Uh, I actually really like the fact that bar and restaurant sales were up 19.4% year over year. That was a bit of a positive surprise because a lot of people have been telling us that they're going to cut back on dining out because Mm -hmm. they're spending so much more on gas and groceries and housing. And so I actually think that is a positive story that is not really being driven by inflation. You also point out that a year over year comparison in this specific case may not necessarily be entirely fair because in March of last year, we were getting those $1,400 stimulus checks in our bank accounts as well. That's right. So even though this was the lowest year over year gain in 13 months, I think it is well explained by those stimulus payments. What was interesting after that was that retail sales really plateaued at a high level last year. So we saw a big pop with those March of 21 stimulus payments, and then things more or less held their own, you know, maybe a little bit up, a little bit down, depending on the month, but they kind of stuck there, which I actually thought was a positive sign for the economy said some good things about consumer spending. That's what's so interesting here is like, if you ask people how things are going, most people say not very well. And Mm -hmm. we see that in the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, which has really been depressed ever since last summer. The conference board has their own metric that tells a similar story. But it's this like, everything is great, everything is terrible economy, because it doesn't feel good. And inflation is really holding us back. But The vast majority, you know, almost anybody who wants to be working is working. Wage growth is up about five and a half percent. So it's not all bad. And so there are a lot of yeah, buts uh, in these uh, in these numbers. At the end of the day, what do we take away from the data? And I'm really curious, uh, are there signs of a cooling in consumer demand, you were kind of hinting at, at there are some indications that uh, because there was also a survey out this week, the consumers are getting close to their breaking point where they feel that they have no choice but to cut discretionary spending. That's the popular sentiment. Now, how that plays out in the data remains to be seen, because a, a lot of times what people say and what they do is different. Mm-hmm. I do think there's still a tremendous amount of pent up demand to travel and to go out to eat and to go to concerts and sporting events. And, you know, the kind of sad irony is that right when COVID seemed to be getting better, then we had all these massive inflationary pressures, Mm -hmm. uh, which are kind of related in a way. I mean, some of it is very much linked to supply, demand. Um, Now we have the Russian invasion of Ukraine that that's added kind of a whole other set of circumstances here. You know, by and large, I take this report as mostly positive. I know there's plenty to worry about in the world, but I actually think that what would have been a lot more worrisome is if we saw these consumer pullbacks. And, you know, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. We saw some categories like e-commerce didn't do as well, um, but bars and restaurants did do well. Clothing sales did well. Mm-hmm. Big ticket items did pretty well. We actually saw month over month increases in both furniture and electronic sales. Car sales were down a little bit. That may actually be more supply chain related than a drop in demand. Um, It's kind of a mixed bag, but I'd say pretty good overall. You know, that's interesting, though. I'm wondering, uh, in the larger scheme of things, 
wouldn't uh, a bit of a pullback in consumer b- demand be a blessing in disguise in a way because lower demand would ease some of the inflationary pressure? And obviously, there's a lot of concern about that right now. In theory, perhaps. The thing that we worry about, though, is because about 70 percent of economic activity is powered by consumer spending, is there a recession worry? That's sort of the dread word that everybody's been thinking about. Uh, What we found in our research is that economists peg something like a one in three chance of a recession over the next year, although the chances do seem to be rising. The Fed is trying to kind of thread a needle here with what they're doing with interest rates and their balance sheet. It's a delicate dance because you're right. They do want to maybe not just tap the brakes, but really press more firmly on the brakes Mm -hmm. because um, some things have been overheating. The risk always, though, is do we go too far in the opposite direction? Right. Well, and that's what I was going to say, because there are a growing number of analysts saying that we may be in for a recession, perhaps uh, even before the end of the year. And would, again, looking at the big picture, so long as it's not too deep of a recession, would that necessarily be a bad thing to give the economy a sort of chance to get the train back on the right track? Because that is hard to do when it's chugging along at full speed. It does seem that, like, in a textbook kind of sense, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a recession or close to it might be needed to really put the brakes on inflation. The problem, though, is that adage about, like, a recession is when your neighbor loses their job, a depression is when you lose yours. The job market has been really strong, and we do hope that continues. I mean, that would be an unfortunate outcome if we did start to hear about mass layoffs and you know yeah. that that would pose problems for households and for the broader economy so it's this delicate thing about you know the fed wants to slow growth and slow inflation but we don't want to hear about all these job losses and all of the the pain that that can cause so um it's a tough one i mean it's something they've dealt with before you know perhaps not that successfully at first like in the 80s when they basically created a recession to head off inflation. Mm -hmm. Now, after that, there was a period of more prosperity. So, um, you know, it's one of these sort of all news is local kind of things. But hopefully the Fed can slow growth and slow inflation without too much pain associated with it. Boy, a fine needle to thread indeed. Again, uh, Bankrate Senior Industry Analyst Ted Rossman with us this morning picking apart the numbers from the March retail sales report and some of the other data that we've uh, seen this week. Interesting stuff there. we get a link up on our webpage for more information, more research from Bankrate. Ted, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. This is, this is weird. This is just weird. Imagine if this happened to you. Woman was walking down the street downtown Greenville, South Carolina on Wednesday. Uh, She was with her child, pushing her child in a stroller. When a man came up out of the blue and smacked her in the face with a plate of whipped cream. (laughs) Just plopped a whipped cream pie right in her face. Police are now trying to find the man who carried out the crime. Um, They say there have been multiple incidents uh, like this uh, occurring during the day. The so-called cool whip bandit has been implicated in a number of such assaults in the Greenville area. 
investigators posted a photo of the suspect on social media and uh, asked anyone with information about the subject to contact police. (laughs) The Cool Whip Bandit. I guess if you are the victim of a crime, I mean, of all of the crimes to be a victim of, that would probably be the one to choose. You know what I mean? But still, (laughs) we got to get this guy off the street. Speaking of uh, weird criminals or criminals doing weird things, a baby formula bandit is on the loose in Miramar, Florida. Authorities say the suspect has stolen baby formula from the same grocery store four times. And uh, the thief is believed to have stolen from other stores nearby as well. But one grocery store in particular there in Miramar has been targeted at least four times. Miramar Police Detective Tiffany Roy tells local news reporters they don't believe the thief is stealing the formula to feed his or her own child because of the large quantities they are taking. So, I don't know, maybe selling it on the black market? If anyone comes up to you on the street and said, hey, you want to buy some baby formula? Be uh, very wary of that, apparently. I didn't even know there was a black market for the things like that, but I do know that's expensive stuff. So I can understand, you know, generally speaking, it is not funny when people die. And uh, so when there is a death involved in the, uh, we typically don't include those stories in the broken news because it's just not funny when people die. However, there is an exception to every rule. From the file of Couldn't See That Coming, a man in Maryland with more than 100 snakes has died after being bitten. Couldn't see that coming. Neighbors called authorities after seeing the 49-year-old man lying on the ground when police arrived. He was unresponsive. They entered the home to discover that the house was inhabited with 124 snakes including a collection of venomous reptiles like pythons, rattlesnakes, cobras, and black mambas, uh, all of which are illegal in Maryland. All of the snakes were taken in, uh, taken to licensed handlers to be disposed of. The man uh, dead after being bitten by one or more of his snakes. <laughs> Couldn't see that coming. What a shocker. Man, some people, I tell you. A couple of other items in the broken news this morning. What would you do if you saw a thief running away with your car? A Connecticut man decided to fire on the guy. He pulled out his gun and fired 10 shots at his own vehicle as the thief was uh, driving off. Miles Pendergrast, age 23, is now in trouble with the law. Police say he really shouldn't have done that and have charged him with first-degree reckless endangerment. I mean, stealing one's car, not necessarily an excuse for deadly force. Certainly not in Connecticut. Uh, He was also charged with illegal discharge of a firearm. Now, here's where the story gets weird. To potentially have those charges against him dismissed, Mr. Pendergrast has asked to be enrolled in the state's accelerated rehabilitation program for first-time offenders. 
But there's a catch because the person who stole his car has to sign off on that (laughs) because he was the victim in this case. Uh, State law mandates that the victim of a crime, in this case, the car thief, must consent to have their wrongdoer, in this case, Mr. Prendergast, be admitted into the accelerated rehabilitation program as opposed to just being sent off to jail. And, And the problem with that is the car thief has not yet been identified And so Mr. Prendergast has argued that he should not have to alert the thief anyway because he stole his car. The assistant state attorney was not moved by the counter-argument as let the mandate stand so Mr. Prendergast might face those charges after all since the thief is still in the wind. A hearing has been set for the middle of next month. (laughs) Wow. That's all kind of weird. Got to have the thief sign off on uh, lowering the charges against the guy who fired on him. It's weird. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, talk about bad timing. A teenager in Wichita Falls, Texas, is in custody on drug and gun charges after an investigator walked to the drive through menu to check the calorie count of a honey butter chicken biscuit because the lobby was closed. Let me give you the story here. Donovan Meadows, uh, age 17, was arrested this past Tuesday, charged with possession of marijuana less than two ounces and unlawful possession of a firearm after an investigator smelled the strong odor of marijuana coming from a car in the drive-thru. Authorities reportedly pulled the car over as it was exiting the drive-thru when the investigator asked the driver, later identified as Mr. Meadows, how much marijuana was in the car. He replied, this much and handed authorities the joint that he was smoking. (laughs) Authorities then conducted a probable cause search of the vehicle, at which time Mr. Meadows let authorities know there might be a gun in the car because his sister had a license to carry. Authorities found a black Glock underneath the driver's seat of the car, and uh, he was not licensed to carry it, so he's in trouble for that too. But it was all because the uh, officer wanted to check the calorie count on a menu item. The lobby was closed, so he had to walk back to the drive-thru to check the sign there, and that's how he was undone. Talk about your bad timing right there. That is just bad timing. There you go. Uh, That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. If you are uh, traveling to see Grandma for the Easter holiday, there is a better chance now than there was before the pandemic that you'll be heading to the country. Americans are increasingly trading city life for the countryside. New survey of 2,000 adults with half living in urban or suburban areas and the rest in rural communities finds that one in five 
who currently live in a rural setting relocated to that rural area from a city or suburb since the pandemic started. 18% have done that. Uh, The poll also asked people how they viewed their environmental habits throughout the pandemic. Results show that two-thirds of all respondents have made an effort to live more sustainably since all of this started a couple of years ago. 67% said that. Uh, Both urban and suburban residents are more interested in learning about uh, obtaining a sustainable lifestyle than their rural counterparts, 77 versus 57 percent. Some people have taken measures to be more sustainable by reducing food waste, 49 percent, 47 percent say they uh, reuse household materials rather than just throwing them away as maybe they did in the past. Um, 46% say paper alternatives instead of plastic, uh, are the way they try to reduce their environmental footprint. And interestingly, eight in 10 believe that having a green thumb is a necessary survival skill. 79% classified it that way. And that may be why 42% of Americans began growing their own produce during the pandemic, 31% say they are interested in raising their own livestock, which is probably why they moved to the country, I would think, because you can't do that in an urban or suburban setting for sure. Once again, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio. It is time for another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. And this morning, we have uh, well, kind of some uh, recipes where you can use up some of your Easter leftovers. Yes. Yep. Easter leftovers. Or if you want to do a Easter breakfast, brunch, yeah. that type of stuff. Yeah. That, or, our first one yep. especially would be good yep. for that. Uh, so, or for Easter. Or just for Easter. Yeah. That's true. You can yeah. do... I got a hodgepodge of stuff going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking with your recipes yes. here. The same yes. same recipes can be used for uh, any of those purposes. Yes. Um, and, uh, or I'm thinking, you know, like a potluck or something. If you're going uh, someplace mm-hmm. uh, yep. for uh, yep. Easter, you can probably the, use the these. The salad things. would be really good for that. Yeah. Uh, so, first of all, uh, we have a Monte Cristo egg casserole yes so you take four whole large eggs one and a half cups of half and half one and a half uh, teaspoon of dijon mustard a pinch of nutmeg salt and pepper to taste six cups of stale cubed french bread nine ounces of sliced black forest ham and one and a half cups of shredded swiss cheese so preheat your oven to 350 degrees lightly coat the inside of an eight by eight baking dish uh, with non-stick spray uh, set aside and then in a large bowl whisk together your egg your half and half your dijon mustard your nutmeg and your salt and pepper uh, stir in the bread cubes and evenly coat that. Then add your ham and your Swiss cheese. Uh, pour the mixture into your baking dish. Place in the oven and bake for about 40 minutes or until the edges are brown and the cheese is melted. Once done, remove from the 
oven, allow to cool for a few minutes uh, before slicing up. You can um, also have your raspberry preserves on the side to kind of put on top of it, or people can dunk. Or And the other thing is you, you could, um, uh, since this is a Monte Cristo egg casserole, you could put some powdered sugar on, yep, um, yep. on, on top of it, sweeten it up a little bit if you want. There you go. So, uh, simple as that. Yes. Use up your, so that, you know, use up some of the eggs, mm-hmm. use up some of the ham, mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. I know the, the recipe says black forest ham, you but it doesn't use, have to, you, you can know, use Yeah, you any can use ham, your Easter really. ham. Yeah. Yep. Like if that. you have leftover Easter sure. ham, why not? So the Monte, Monte Cristo egg casserole, uh, to go along with that, an easy broccoli bacon salad. Yes. So this is six strips of bacon cooked, uh, one head of broccoli chopped. Um, three-fourths cup of dried cranberries, one cup of cheddar cheese chunks, uh, a third cup of chopped red onions. Then for your dressing, one and a quarter cups of Miracle Whip, one tablespoon lemon juice, two tablespoons apple cider vinegar, quarter cups sugar, salt and pepper to taste, and a quarter teaspoon dried mustard, and a quarter teaspoon of ground clove. So mix the ingredients for the dressing with a whisk, uh, set that aside in a large bowl, add the chopped broccoli, the cranberries, the cheddar cheese, and the onion, add the bacon, stir that all together, sprinkle with some reserve uh, cheddar cheese, um, add your dressing, and then um, mix that all together and put it in the fridge for um, a little while just to chill it up. Uh, can, and or it can be served at room temperature, whichever one you like. So, and uh, um, it can sit on the counter. This one it, with it, with the Miracle Whip. Um, this one you can have it sit on your counter for a little while, but it's but one, of those, wanna, yeah, one of those. One of those at Easter out. time or any time. Right. Food yeah. safety. Food yes. safety first. Don't, don't leave. Don't it out leave it out too the long. whole day. Yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, okay. So your uh, easy broccoli bacon salad to go with your Monte Cristo egg casserole, and then for dessert, yes, uh, this is the Cadbury mini egg oatmeal brownie bars. Yes, I love Cadbury mini I eggs. I love Cadbury <laughs> eggs. <laughs> I do too. I love Cadbury <laughs> eggs. This is a. These are like the mini eggs that are these, somewhat like M&M's sort yeah, of. Yeah, these are these not are, the ones no, with the filling, filling in, the in them. In the middle. These are just yes. the... Yes. So again, you can mini use those, eggs. I guess, with any of those chocolate mm-hmm. mini eggs oh, because yeah. that's basically what they are. Yep. So, yep. But the recipe calls for the Cadbury. Yes. So anyway, because it's Easter. <laughs> Cadbury mini egg oatmeal brownie bars. Yes. So one and a half cups of quick oats, one and a half cups of flour, one cup brown sugar, one teaspoon salt, one cup butter softened, four, one four ounce can of sweetened condensed milk, one bag of milk chocolate chips, two tablespoons of butter softened, and one 10 ounce bag of your mini Cadbury eggs. So preheat the oven to 350 degrees in a large bowl. Mix your oats, your flour, your brown sugar, your salt, and one cup soft butter with with a spoon. Remove one cup and set aside of the batter. Press remaining of of the batter into the bottom of a greased 9 by 13 inch pan. In a small pot, melt your condensed milk, your chocolate chips, and two tablespoons of butter over low heat, over low Low to medium heat. Okay. Uh, stir constantly until the chips are melted and everything is mixed well. So, and then pour the chocolate chip mixture over your bottom layer that you have 
in your pan mm-hmm. and spread that evenly. Then sprinkle leftover uh, your leftover oats that you left out. Put that uh, sprinkle that on top or little globs okay. on top of that, and then bake for twenty five to thirty minutes. Um, and it's going to be golden brown on the sides. Okay. Um, and then top your top it after you take it out. Uh, top it with your mint, uh, your Cadbury eggs, and then cool and slice. There you go. So, and if you enjoy some Cadbury eggs too, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Because I do. A, <laughs> it is a ten ounce bag. You may or may not may use not all use them all ten on the, ounces on the brownie bars. <laughs> <laughs> it may be half. And <laughs> so there you go. Uh, the uh, Monte Cristo egg casserole, the easy broccoli bacon salad, and the Cadbury mini egg oatmeal brownie bars uh, for your uh, Easter. Uh, dinner, dinner uh, maybe brunch, on Sunday you could use those posh, or posh. your leftovers okay. or you know however, however you want to use it yep. but uh, using some of the uh, Easter dinner staples there yes. uh, with the recipes this week from Kyra's Kitchen which are posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page make sure that you like the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN and get those uh, recipes we also uh, have them uh, shared on the WFIN Facebook page and linked up at goodmornings.net, so you can check them there. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will wrap up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, and that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday morning on the program, it's tax deadline day. We'll dig into some of the numbers from WalletHub's 2022 Tax Burden by State Report. So until Monday morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out, make it a good day, a great weekend. Happy Easter. We'll catch you back here next week.